Will you join me in prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our Mennonite stream of Christian faith originally emerged in the context of the European Reformation. Our Mennonite congregations here in the Shenandoah Valley included settler families who came first to William Penn's Pennsylvania and then to Virginia, taking over lands whose original caretakers and inhabitants were the Monacan Nation, as well as such groups as the Taranaka Nottaway, Chickahominy, Eastern Chickahominy, Rappahannock, Pamunkey, and others. As Parkview Mennonite Church begins to listen for God's word in the book of Ruth, expect to hear a gospel breakthrough for both settlers and immigrants in the time of the judges. This Old Testament story might be called the Gospel of Ruth. This book is also a love story in four chapters and a picture of God's loving kindness at the household and village level. The book of Ruth, Ruth, who was not an Israelite, is also a strategically placed canonical argument for including outsiders or Gentiles into the people of Israel and living the spirit of the Torah law in the land. And the book of Ruth is a family history of King David filling in details in the ancestral line from which Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, and Mary, Jesus' mother, will emerge centuries later. The book of Ruth is the story of the tenacity and creativity of faithful women. This morning, I'm going to play the part of Ruth and tell the story from the perspective of her life as an immigrant. I've also included some material from immigrants to the Shenandoah Valley. Naomi, I, I can see a few houses. Is that Bethlehem? We're going to make it. At least we're going to make it this far. I wonder how the villagers of Bethlehem will receive us, a couple of widows. But whatever happens, Naomi, let's stay together. I was so young then, and already I had suffered so much. Looking back, I can see God's loving kindness through the whole journey, but there were plenty of days that seemed like the end had come. Elimelech, Naomi, and their sons left Bethlehem for my home, Moab. 
They were driven by hunger, displaced from their land and livelihood and separated from their extended family. They tried to make a new life in a foreign country. When Elimelech died, both his sons chose wives. Malan chose me. There are challenges to an intercultural marriage, but it seemed like we could raise a family in Moab and take care of his widowed mother. But then tragedy struck. My husband and his brother died. My sister-in-law, Orpah, and I were grieving the deaths of our husbands and grieving the children we would never have. We couldn't expect that a Moabite man would take us as wife now. We wept. We talked, Orpah and I. We each made an excruciating choice. I had experienced this family's faith and was beginning to trust that their God would not forget us. So I decided to go back with Naomi, back to her home, to Israel and a city called Bethlehem. Bethlehem. It means house of bread. I had no idea how much hardship and hope Naomi and I would share. Now, my immigrant story isn't so unusual. You have plenty of immigrant folks here in Harrisonburg and Rockingham County. Some of your newcomers are seeking safety or better economic or educational opportunities for their families. Some are welcomed as refugees of war. You might soon expect climate refugees in the future. Listening to your immigrant neighbors from Eritrea and Congo in Africa, from Mexico, Honduras, and Cuba, and parts of the Middle East, they usually begin by saying that they are so grateful to be here, grateful for political stability in the U.S. And they share that their hope for their children is that they will have better futures I can certainly identify with that. When I gave birth to Obed in Bethlehem, he gave me so much hope, and now he's grown with a son of his own. Can you believe it? I am a great-grandmother. My grandson, Jesse, and his wife just gave birth to their seventh, or is it their eighth? <laughs> well, at least I remember his name. It's David. When immigrants today realize that I'm willing to hear not only their gratitude, but their pain as well, they open up about the struggles of living in a new culture and community. Immigrants often work in low-wage, physically demanding jobs and have little energy left and few opportunities for learning English, which they need for better work. I can identify 
When we arrived in Bethlehem, Naomi had an initial plan for economic survival. Gleaning, picking up the grain still left in the field after harvest. Our journey from Moab was very difficult for Naomi, so being younger, I gleaned in the Bethlehem fields each day and took care of Naomi at night. It seemed a miracle to me that we survived those first days in Bethlehem. But Naomi explained to me, this was no miracle. Gleaning was God's law for our survival. And she taught me that gleaning was for emergencies, not forever. When I listened to immigrants in this community, they described all kinds of new challenges. One Yazidi woman was trying to get a driver's license studying for the DMV exam in her third language. Can you imagine? Immigrants shared about relating to landlords and navigating the educational and healthcare systems. One Congolese mother understood that she could send her children to the public park but another family there, when they realized that her 10-year-old was in charge of a much younger child, called the authorities. The Congolese mother feared losing her child because of different cultural understandings of family responsibility. I heard an Iraqi woman share her dream of teaching high school math, which she did in her home country. She knows that the process to achieve necessary language, education, and certification could take a decade or more. Until then, she will work in non-professional roles and get further training when she can, when she can afford it. I heard a Latina share multiple traumas prior to arriving in the US and her current sense of isolation here. She fears that she and one of her several children will be vulnerable to deportation, which would break up their family. These struggles say nothing of the fear of foreigners and racism which many immigrants face in daily life. I don't know enough about racism in this country, but I am Moabite, and I was the victim of Israel's ethnic prejudice against my people. I hesitate to say this because I know you folks think a lot of the Israelites, but they were extremely prejudiced against Moabites. In Hebrew law, Moabites are to be excluded from the assembly of God's people for 10 generations. That's basically forever. And it's worse for me as a woman. Israel accused Moabite women of leading their men into idolatry. So when Naomi and I first showed up in Bethlehem, what did they think? Everyone was thanking God that the famine was over, that the barley harvest had begun. They thought that I might be a bad influence a source of pollution and a threat to their security. Naomi and I benefited from the gleaning laws for our survival, but the prejudicial laws against Moabites didn't offer me much of a future. So, 
Naomi came up with a plan that you wouldn't believe. As an Israelite widow, she was eligible for either the law of leveret marriage, whereby her dead husband's brother would marry her, or the law of the kinsman redeemer, in which a close relative would assume Elimelech's land and household so that his name and honor would not be lost. If Naomi had exercised her legal privilege, where would that have left me? I hate to think about it. We wept. We talked, Naomi and I. Just as I had pledged myself to Naomi, to her homeland, to her people, to her God, Naomi wasn't going to cut me out of a plan for a sustainable long-term future. Naomi pledged herself to me. I thought her plan was a long shot. I was still learning to know this God, this land, this law, this people. But Naomi insisted that the whole history of Israel was a long shot. God turned in loving kindness to a bunch of slaves and led them out of Egypt. That was not only a long shot, that was a miracle. It's curious, Naomi knew the stories of God's miracles in the past, but she expected no miraculous intervention in our case. She just trusted that God's people would apply their law in a new way. Naomi sent me to the threshing floor where Boaz was sleeping one night. Now, without getting into any details, let me just say that after that night, Boaz could either take me as his wife or discard me, lest I ruin his reputation. It was a long shot. But God's loving kindness is supposed to redeem even desperate situations. Boaz, the privileged, settled owner of the field where I had gleaned, chose the law of loving kindness. He agreed to be the kinsman redeemer and marry me. It was a long shot, but Bethlehem villagers also chose the law of loving kindness. The elders gathered in the city gate to discuss whether the laws could be stretched to make a decent marriage possible for someone like me, a Moabite woman. Well, one man flatly rejected the idea. He thought a Moabite would ruin his reputation and his future. But Boaz heard the gospel of loving kindness in the law. And later, the women of the community also celebrated loving kindness when Boaz and I were new parents of baby Obed. Naomi is gone now. But she lived loving kindness and showed her community how to advocate for immigrants, women at risks, and folks who don't fit the marriage laws of the time. 
Everyone seems to remember the pledge that I made to Naomi. It was so important. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. And that could be soon for me. I understand that you have made my pledge to Naomi your own pledge to God through Jesus Christ. Haven't you pledged to go where Jesus goes? To make his people your own people? And his God, your God? Haven't you pledged even to die with him? Today, I'm remembering not only my pledge, but the pledge that Naomi made to me, not to leave me just barely surviving in poverty conditions, but to stay with me for my well-being and future. We newcomers want to be treated with dignity, and we need faithful friends like the poor, widowed Naomi and the rich, reputable Boaz. We need faithful leaders in our city gates, decision makers who can interpret the law in terms of loving kindness. And we need celebrating villagers who will knit our stories into the gospel of loving kindness. We need villages and communities free from prejudice. In my case, it was the village of Bethlehem. Now someone, one of your immigrant friends, told me that between my lifetime and yours, little Bethlehem had another opportunity to welcome a poor stranger and see the face of their God. Will you join me in this pledge to our Lord? When you cross racial, ethnic, national, and language barriers, we will go with you. We are your disciples. Lord Jesus, where you go, we will go. When you make your home in a prison cell, hospital bed, local shelter, or have no place to lay your head, we will shed our pretense and join you there. Lord Jesus, where you lodge, we will lodge. Your people, the church, are our people. We will hold each other and not neglect the bonds of faith that keep us one with you and one with each other. Lord Jesus, your people shall be our people. Your people beyond the church are our people. We will seek your face 
in the face of everyone we meet. Lord Jesus, your people shall be our Thank you for turning us toward the God of loving kindness, whose law is righteousness, peace, and justice. Lord Jesus, your God is our God. Through baptism, we have been crucified with you and raised to new life. Our lives are fragile, and we do not know how many days we have. With you, we identify with all who suffer or feel abandoned in the face of death. Lord Jesus, where you die, we will die and be buried. May our lives be hidden in Christ, O God, and revealed in your kingdom to come. Amen. 